Green Sense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit CEATECHN.com to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco innovations that are changing your world. PFAS are a synthetic fluorine-based group of chemicals used to make fluoropolymer coatings and produce products that are resistant to heat, oil, stains, grease, and water. These fluoropolymer coatings are everywhere. Nonstick cookware, water-resistant fabrics, and stain-resistant coatings, to name a few. PFAS are known as the forever chemical because once released into the environment, they do not break down and they can build up in our blood and our organs. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has detected PFAS in the blood of 99% of Americans, including newborn babies. Very low doses of PFAS have been linked to suppression of the immune system, and studies show exposure to very low level of PFAS can also increase the risk of cancer, harm fetal development, and reduce vaccine effectiveness. Are the concern for PFAS hype, or is it science-based fact? Here to tell us more is David Andrews, Senior Scientist at EWG, the Environmental Working Group. David, welcome to the Green Sense Show. Thank you, and a pleasure to be with you today. Well, we look forward to uh, you setting the record straight. And uh, just a little background on the EWG is an independent nonprofit organization largely funded by donations and grants. So I have looked at it as a very uh, credible, uh, uh, objective uh, organization. Its mission is to empower individuals with uh, breakthrough research to make informed choices and live a healthy life and a healthy environment. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think that's right. We really focus on the science and really try to make the scientific studies and scientific findings accessible to the public and accessible to the public in a way that leads to change that benefits public health. Sounds great. And you are highly educated and uh, have a great background, a PhD in chemistry, right in our background, a uh, uh, backyard, Northeastern Univer uh, Northwestern University, and a BA in chemistry at Wesleyan University. And you specialize in the public health implications of chemicals detected in drinking water, consumer products, and cosmetics. And for the past decade, you've been educating consumers toward the use of safer chemicals to protect health. Anything you want to add? No, I think that's right. The last, last nearly 15 years now, I've really been focusing on chemicals that interact with our bodies, everyday chemicals and everyday products, our drinking water, and how they may be impacting our health and, and what changes can be made. Well, your colleague, uh, Tasha Stoiber, joined us a year ago to give us a primer on PFAS, and we left the interview feeling quite concerned about their toxicity and their uh, omnipresence. Uh, today, you're here to tell us that the EPA reports that the PFAS drinking water crisis is worse than previously reported. Oh no, any good news out there? <laughs> right, so maybe I will start with the good news on this in, in terms of when restrictions and regulations have happened. And actually there, have been, there has been a phase out starting uh, just over a decade, 15 years ago about of PFO and PFOS, the two uh, PFOS chemicals produced in the largest volume and used for, for the longest period of time, levels have gone down in our blood. Um, and, and, and that's the, the blood collectively of Americans, kind of the average, the average amount um, has come down significantly, which is great news. 
Um, the, the bad news part of this is that we are now learning the full extent of contamination across our drinking water supplies and how these chemicals can harm health at levels that are much, much lower than previously believed even 10 years ago. Um, and, and so in this changing environment, um, it's it's really, there's, there's um, much greater testing going on um, and, and discovery that this, this contaminant is present in drinking water supplies across the country. So how do we know this? How do, how do we know what the facts are and is the science undeniable? In, in terms of the health impacts, um, yes. actually EPA uh, recently proposed drinking water standards for six PFAS chemicals, including PFO and PFAS, um, which have received the most attention. Um, and in their review of the science, they noted that there were between 450 and 500 studies of, on humans or, or, or in human populations showing in, in most cases that higher levels of exposure lead to worse health outcomes. Um, and what's unique about these chemicals is, is that they stick to blood and they're distributed throughout our body and they can cause harm in so many different places. Mm. You mentioned impacts on the immune system, really um, increased exposures associated with a number of different types of cancer, inc including testicular and kidney cancer, impacts on reproduction, development, obesity, really the, the list goes on and on. And it's kind of, kind of frightening that at such low concentrations or such low levels that these can really wreak havoc in our bodies. Well, if PFAS never break down, what are the pathways that they can take to get into the environment? Um, so I've, I've actually worked on a number of, of peer-reviewed studies looking at this question and trying to understand from drinking water contamination if we can identify the sources of contamination and then try to understand where those sources are across the country. Um, the, some of the primary sources are manufacturing facilities, places that uh, trained with uh, firefighting foam, in particular firefighting foam for, for jet fuel fires for, for airplanes. Um, that was typically made with a high percentage of PFAS. And when they tested it, it often ran into to local water streams or impacted groundwater systems. Um, but it's also associated with a number of um, different types of industries. And we have a map on our website of over 30,000 potential sources of contamination across the country. And that does include landfill fills and wastewater treatment plants, places where industrial waste is, is processed and then could potentially be released into streams, which then could impact drinking water. Uh, what about consumers? Do they flush materials with PFAS in them in the toilet? And then do they get into the wastewater treatment system and then get into rivers that way also? Right, so residential or consumers um, are contributing to this in part um, unknowingly often um, because of the widespread use of PFAS in consumer products. And this is everything from textile coatings, um, to a component of um, different 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 plastics in our house. Um, it's, it really becomes a component of the of our household dust just because of its use in so many different products. And that includes everything from fast food wrappers to the strings on guitars to um, sometimes dental floss even. Whoa, <laughs> that's a direct pathway to a human uh, uh, inhalation or, or digestion. Um, the, the drinking water standards are set by US EPA, and we have a number of chemicals that are on those. Are PFAS currently on drinking water standards, and how do chemicals get on that list? So there, there, there are no specific drinking water standards for, for PFAS chemicals nas nationally. 
Um, there are a number of states that have set drinking water standards, um, but the EPA um, has proposed drinking water standards uh, for six PFAS compounds. And they actually indicated that by setting standards for those six, they believe um, it should also reduce the levels of other PFAS compounds that we may not even know about. Um, but currently there is no standard. And, and the process for setting a drinking water standard was established in the Safe Drinking Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act amendments from 1996. And since 1996, no new chemical has been regulated under that process. Um, so EPA is going through the process, but it's kind of untested. And, and so they do have regulatory deadlines and I believe in the next year, a year and a half, they are supposed to finalize that drinking water standard that they proposed. Um, but it's relatively untested because as I mentioned, no chemical has actually made it through this process to, to be established and have a new regulation. Yeah, it's a complex process to get on that list, and it's really uh, disconcerting because more and more chemicals are being produced every year. Um, why do you think no more chemicals have been put on since 1996? Um, in some ways, I think the process is broken um, in terms of the, <laughs> you think? The, the number of bureaucratic <laughs> steps that, that, that the agency has to go to before establishing a new drinking water limit. Um, and we actually see the same, very same parallels in terms of the regulations of industrial chemicals such as PFAS, not specific to drinking water, um, but the, the process for EPA to evaluate the safety of a chemical and then take action to either restrict or remove it from the marketplace has become incredibly onerous. And that's partially by design um, in the influence of many of these chemical industries in how the bureaucratic process moves forward. They, they benefit if they... they government takes an incredibly long time to take any action um, and, and the public actually suffers. And so I, I think it's partially by design um, that there's that there aren't more drinking water standards. And it's it's shocking to think about how much more we know about chemicals, chemicals in the environment and how they harm health now than we did three decades ago when the last drinking water regulations were, were really went through a, a process. No, it makes me really upset uh, that the EPA is there to protect human health and the environment, and yet they don't take a position on these uh, chemicals that that are really controlled by big industry. So uh, is the Biden administration making uh, any changes to the national drinking water standards to better regulate these PFAS? Are they doing anything to maybe improve the situation? Well, so the Biden administration has has been very strong in terms of their action. And I would say even at the EPA, there's a, there a, a large number of scientists who are especially concerned about this and would like to move the process forward in terms of setting new regulations. Um, and we actually, the Biden administration, um, besides just the, the regulation of these chemicals in drinking water, has proposed a, a whole list of different regulations in terms of establishing them as hazardous waste. Um, tracking where they're used and released into the environment, a piece of information you'd think they'd already have, but don't. Um, and, and we've actually published periodically a report card on their on on their how how they're doing on their promises. And we're we're a little concerned they're falling behind in terms of taking quick action that's really needed here. Um, so they 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 did put out strong proposals to to regulate PFAS and and have better control over the marketplace. Um, but we're still awaiting much of that action. Well, this really erodes trust in the EPA. You know, we we know there's a problem out there. And as you said, they're dragging their heels. They're getting caught in these long bureaucratic processes. 
to put these chemicals on a list. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I think it does, it's not helping the, the public confidence in the agency. I, even if they have the best intentions, I believe that the process is, is has become and is convoluted in so many different ways that it does erode the public trust in their ability to, to safeguard health. Um, and I think it really points to the need, as you mentioned, for systematic overhaul of, of regulation of industrial chemicals and how new regulations are established for drinking water contaminants. And it also points out how important it is to have organizations like your, yours, uh, EWG, that's out there giving unbiased fact-based science. And uh, I read a report that uh, EWG estimates that there could be nearly 30,000 industrial polluters releasing PFAS into the environment, including into sources of drinking water. And so the question that I, it came to mind, are policy regulation and enforcement enough to solve this problem? Right. I, this this requires action at both the local, state, and federal level. Um, and we have seen a number of states um, taking action to safeguard drinking water systems to test. Um, for example, um, nearby Michigan um, did, did really comprehensive testing of the state. Um, they tried to identify upstream sources of contamination, and they actually showed that when they put restrictions in place on what could be in kind of the waste stream from electroplaters, landfills, and other, other industries that, that may be using PFAS, that there's a, a relatively quick and measurable decrease in PFAS concentrations in surface water streams. Um, so, so I think there's, there, we, we know it, it works um, when, when action is taken. Um, so, so I think there's, there's hope. It just has to come from many different places and not just a reliance on the EPA and, and federal action. Well, I found uh, when you're looking for a solution, you need to figure out first, you know, who's making money from PFAS and who's profiting and how do we make it painful for those companies uh, to be bad actors so that they be good actors? What's your thoughts on that? I, I completely agree with you. Know, drinking water filtration and cleaning up PFAS contamination from the environment is going to be incredibly costly um, because of how widespread these contaminants have, have become. And ultimately, the public shouldn't be the one paying the cost. It should be the, the companies that produced and used these chemicals. And, and we have seen um, both public and private lawsuits uh, and filed against um, 3M, DuPont, other manufacturers and users of PFAS chemicals to try to recuperate those costs at the at the state and local level. Um, and, and so I, I think that's a, a prudent strategy and, and maybe it is that financial liability that ultimately shifts um, how, how companies um, consider chemicals such as PFAS and, and whether or not they use them. Well, CERCLA had a very onerous liability scheme that really made uh, people uh, stand up and uh, take action. Do we need something like that, that uh, the Superfund law that uh, made the polluter pay and uh, pay three times the amount of cleanup. So is that something like that that's, that may be needed? Because this is a pretty serious issue. Absolutely. And and I, there's there's EPA is taking steps to list some of these PFAS chemicals under CERCLA um, so that they are considered hazardous substance and would trigger some of those liability and, and cleanup costs. Um, so that is definitely part of the strategy and, and definitely will be required because of the extent of contamination. Well, I'm a recovering hydrogeologist and I started my career doing a lot of uh, groundwater and soil cleanups. And so 
I know how costly and complex these can be. And there's a lot of historic issues uh, with PFAS. So who's responsible for soil and water remediation of, of these uh, PFAS contaminated sites? I, I mean, the, the fighting for the liability and ensuring that those costs are, <laughs> are passed on to the producers will, will likely be going on for decades. Um, but we think it's really the, 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 the companies that produce and, and use these chemicals should be held responsible. Well, after talking with you and 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 uh, your colleague, we're now aware, we're scared, and I think some of us are pretty mad about this. Uh, what can we do as individuals to protect our health and the environment? Well, I think the first step is definitely checking your your we so we have a um, an online tap water database that um, really includes the the most recent and up to five years of test results for your utility, both for PFAS as well as other contaminants and. You know, if PFAS have been detected, we definitely recommend considering a drinking water filter. Um, and we've done testing on filters and we um, kind of outlined the different technologies. Most filters, um, including counter filters, will greatly reduce or eliminate PFAS contamination. There's also under the sink options. So there are options to address one of those sources of contamination. Um, and then we have other tips for, for other areas, but really starting with drinking water, and then really making your voice heard both to companies you buy products from as well as to your, your local, state, and federal government in terms of concerns about uh, PFAS chemicals and PFAS regulations. What about bottled uh, drinking water? Has that been filtered and is that clean or could that be a potential source? Uh, it could be a potential source. I believe most of the companies have agreed to follow a standard um, that they established a few years ago um, that's similar, I believe, maybe not exactly the same as what the EPA has proposed. Um, but ultimately, we don't think bottled water is the solution. We we do recommend that um, consumers stick with tap water and consider the addition of a, of a filter. And what about the products that contain PFAS? Do you have a list of those so that we can avoid purchasing those? It's always good to eliminate the source first. Um, we do on our website have a have a small list of, of PFAS free products, but the, the information, there's no required disclosure for most products. Getting that information um, oftentimes is not possible. And, and, and so, you know, it's it's often reliant on companies taking a stand and kind of be, being very public about what they've moved away from in their products. Um, so well, there are have... a number. The, the good news, though, is compared to a few years ago, um, textiles, outerwear, coats, even raincoats. There, are, there are many brands that are have moved away from the use of PFAS. So, it is slowly becoming possible to to shift um, consumer product purchasing and direct. You, know, you can directly make a decision on on whether or not to avoid PFAS. But we have warning labels on cigarettes and alcohol for pregnant women. Uh, how hard is it to get labeling on all materials that are are are, are manufactured with PFAS? It's a great idea. I, I imagine there's there's enormous political or <laughs> barriers, but um, you know I think this is something that's been attempted at least in um, some state legislation. I believe in California in terms of labeling cookware, um, but I, I I don't know that the, the the barriers to doing that nationally. But I I mean I think it's a very reasonable idea. David. Uh... Tell us what gives you the most joy in your job and where do you have the most frustration? Um, I'm going to start with the most frustration and that's really the pace of, of 
of um, of action, and that's both at the EPA, but but also at the private industry level in terms of shifting away from this problematic chemistry. Um, I've been working on PFAS contamination of drinking water and PFAS in consumer products for a decade. Um, and, and a lot of this information that we're now finding out in this recent round of EPA drinking water sampling could have been known 10 years ago. And that drives me absolutely mad that that information was actually collected but never reported to the agency or to the drinking water utilities because of how the standards were written for testing and what levels had to be reported back. Um, so that I find incredibly frustrating. Um, but I, I think, I, I mean, I get the, the most joy out of this in, in explaining the issue to people and seeing change happen. And, and that change happens as more people become educated about and, and understand really the, the role of chemicals, chemicals and consumer products and how they interact with ourselves and the environment. And, and as we become aware, especially of the problematic chemicals in those products that, that may harm our health or the environment, um, it does really, individual actions do change and it, do, it changes both private companies, but making that information more broadly accessible also leads to, to political change and more political will. So I'm very encouraged to see that over the last few years, really momentum has shifted incredibly to the point where um, companies and governments are looking to, to move as far away as possible from PFAS chemicals. We just need to make sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes again. Well, you're a great communicator and, and we really appreciate you being on the show. Are there any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I, I think it's really just just become aware and, and understand this issue and, and, and make your voice known. Well, those are uh, good comments. And again, thank you for doing the work you do and the uh, being part of a great organization that's putting out science, fact-based information that's objective. And so thank you for being on the show and, and giving us that great information. Really my pleasure. And glad, glad that you're covering the issue. My guest this week is David Andrews, senior scientist at EWG, that's the Environmental Working Group, increasing our awareness of PFAS, the forever chemical, and leaving us with some tips on what you can do to take charge and protect your own health. Visit the GreenSenseShow.com website to learn more about sponsorship. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense and check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago. GreenSense Show is sponsored by CEA Technology, providing a sustainable modular indoor growing system. Visit ceatechn.com to learn more.